Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. Good morning, Chris. Thank you very much for joining me this morning on the Insurance Brokers Podcast. It's great to have you here. Morning, Sarah. Thank you for the invitation. Um, I'm quite excited, which we've already discussed, but I feel I must draw attention to your back wall with all the running numbers on. I think it's fabulous. It, uh, it was just a way of brightening up a, a very bland wall um, that suddenly was exposed to many, many people as we went into lockdown. But uh, yeah, it creates a bit of a talking point. The gold 666 is my favourite. Well, that is the only number that I've ever actually chosen. And, uh, and that was from a race this year. And after putting these numbers up on the wall and having the opportunity to pick a number, I thought, oh, what better one? I, I must admit, <laughs> I thought it was 999 initially, but uh, 666 <laughs> was even better, I think. Well, from here, I wouldn't know if it was actually 999 and you turned it upside down. So it looks great. <laughs> so today's conversation is actually almost part of a, of a three um, three podcast series, really, which was kind of an inadvertent thing. But it's all around this work that Ecclesiastical are doing on the generalist versus specialist broker. So I don't know if you just want to give us a bit of background about you, uh, your role, and uh, maybe what we're going to talk about today. And then I can ask you lots of interesting questions. Sure. Okay. Well, um, yeah, so I'm the broker distribution director for Ecclesiastical. And that means I look after uh, distribution within Adrian's team um, and uh, and that's the key account managers that go out and see our major brokers um, but also we've got a, a team of uh, um, account managers that look after brokers well it used to be via the telephone we used to call them telephone account managers but now it's you know video conferencing and whatever medium you know, brokers are happy to engage with so um, um, and, and also within the team we look after some of those strategic relationships, uh, market management functions with some of those larger brokers. And really just with a team, I suppose, that takes the ecclesiastical proposition and tries to bring it to life for brokers. Fabulous. And you guys, so just for people that haven't listened to the previous podcasts, Adrian uh, Saunders, Commercial Director for Ecclesiastical, you've just mentioned, and I did a podcast in May, which was prior to some work you guys were doing, some research really, on um, sort of specialisms and, and how brokers view their own capabilities from a specialist versus generalist nature. Um, and, we, and we talked around the survey and the, the roundtable broker briefings that you were doing. Um, Adrian and I caught up in June and we talked a little bit more about some of the early results that were coming out of those um, surveys. And you guys have gone on to, to develop a white paper that sort of splits it up almost into personality um, uh, personas, uh, which, which I think is fabulous. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it, about sort of your take on the research uh, and the stuff that's come out of it? And then we can talk about the different personas and people can see where they identify. Yeah, sure. The, um, Adrian said, I think, on one of the previous podcasts that uh, this was unashamedly to sort of timed, I suppose, to link to our rebrand and our uh, our own sort of position as a specialist insurer in this market. And, uh, and we went out to, to field and did the, 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 the research that we did. 
And the opportunity just sort of presented itself and to, to actually get a few brokers together and say, does this make sense? You know, there were a few things within the research that probably didn't make sense or certainly needed challenging. And we thought before we do anything with the results, it would it would add real sort of colour to it if we got some brokers together and we, we held a series of roundtables um, aligned to our regional offices, so brokers with kind of an affinity to us. Uh, not all of them were specialists, so some of them absolutely recognised the research and said, yeah, that, that's me. And others went, yeah, no, don't, you know, don't think that's a kind of a, a current position of the market. So, so we had, um, we had that opportunity to, to validate that research and, and do the thing that often happens um, in individual offices where you read these surveys and you go, what a load of nonsense or, oh yes, that's absolutely accurate. We were able to do that with some brokers. And then this piece has come out as a, as a consequence of that. So, you know, uh, Specialism is a spectrum. Um, when we talk about specialist brokers, we deliberately could mean a firm, but we also could mean an individual. You know, some 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 individuals recognise them as this uh, as as a pure specialist, which is one of the personas that we've given, and yet their firm wouldn't want to be described as a specialist broker, perhaps. So it, 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 the personas piece just tries to bring to life the fact that. Not all specialists are the same, um, and that there's a, there's a range. One of the things that Adrian and I spoke about in in a previous podcast was um, this idea of uh, how uh, defining specialism. And you can have a specialist by geographical location, by product, by all sorts of things, which I think is quite interesting that you've recognised that in the the piece of work you've done. Was it deliberate to do the personality? like Myers-Briggs type, red, yellow, blue, all of those, was that deliberate? It must have been. Um, not in terms of the colours, if we're honest, because we don't want anyone to think that, oh, you know, green means a good type of specialist and red means a bad type of specialist. So no, I think it was more that uh, from a presentation perspective, but I think uh, it, it works. It, it certainly works. Um, and I, yeah, I heard the um, I heard the podcast that you did with Adrian and um, I, service is a is a form of specialism i suppose what we've focused on is the specialism around the the client type that was that was where we honed in because of the nature of what we do that we have specialist products for specialist you know in specialist areas so we honed in on that but but certainly there could be other types of specialism as you say geographic geographically or uh, uh, or otherwise I'd be really interested um, for people listening uh, if we can go through the sort of the four types of, of, of um, broker personas. I'd be really interested for anyone listening for their feedback on whether they identify with these kind of four broad groups or just any thoughts on, on this piece at all, because I do think it's really interesting. And just to um, to to raise a point in relation to what you've just said about red being bad or uh, all of those tests that you do, and they've got all different various names. I always come out as red. <laughs> Don't know what that says about me, but I always come out as red. Um, okay, so the four specialisms that you guys have kind of picked up, we've got, we've got the pure specialist, the intentional hybrid, the connected general practitioner, 
and the organic generalist and each you've attributed to them uh, sort of almost traits mm. uh, um, and thought process like a sort of an operational profile I think you call it so um, should we do you want to just give us a bit of an overview let's start with the pure specialist and um, and see what your research has told you about this type of broker yeah sure the the, the pure specialist was probably the easiest one to identify um, as the name suggests they're completely immersed in whatever it is that they have, have chosen as their specialism it's their passion as well as their career um, they're usually quite disruptive actually because they don't want to settle for the status quo uh, they don't want to come up with a solution everyone else has got they want to be ahead of the game so data mining is one of the things that they're they're constantly doing uh, scanning the market in terms of what alternatives are available um, trying to identify gaps in products and, and finding solutions for those and, and and quite honestly as an insurer dealing with a broker like that they are incredibly demanding but the the, the reason they're so demanding is their kind of their empathy towards their clients you know that is every broker wants to look after their client and do the right thing by them but these these are so immersed in their sectors that they're going beyond insurance they're they're lobbying for them um, we've uh, we've all suffered haven't we in terms of lockdown and the businesses that we insure have, have suffered in different ways but um, the theatre industry is, is one of those areas where that we insure and obviously they've been closed for a long period of time and and the specialist brokers in that sector uh, take it upon themselves to to help with the lobbying of reopening and and safe reopening and only reopening when it can be viable for for those businesses so they they go above and beyond kind of the insurance piece um out of hours working out of hours um you know engagement with their clients because they they need to operate they need to work with the clients when the clients have available time and and depending on the sector in which they operate that's unlikely to be kind of nine to five when the insurance industry would would sort of typically operate um, so is this the type of um, broker, as you mentioned earlier, either individual or company, that is almost industry first, insurance second? Yeah. That type of mindset? Yes. Yeah. And some of the people on the round tables, uh, again, it was sort of fascinating to hear that how they'd, I think we all say that we fell into insurance rather than chose it as a career. But, but these people have operated in the sector that they, they, that they now specialise in and then moved across to insurance. Um, and you know, we talked about kind of recruitment and the likelihood of them recruiting again from that sector or whether they felt that they could uh, take someone from the insurance sector and, and turn them into the specialism. And, and there, was a, there was quite a healthy debate really about the, the viability of that. You know, is it easier to, to train someone in insurance um, and, and kind of bolt on the passion for the sector or do you need the passion for the sector and both, kind of which, which way around would work? Just thinking back to a few conversations I've had over the last few months, um, I, can, I can pick out these, these personas. Um, one where um, the uh, founder actually worked in the sector but was responsible for um, organising their company's uh, insurance and and found it to be so complicated 
that he found an insurance, an underwriter, as it happens, and they kind of joined together and went off and have created something quite special. Um, similarly, uh, uh, um, a, a book that I read and I interviewed the author, he talked about different startups and carriers and a lot of them, they were US based, but a lot of them had come from a different sector and had gone right, insurance isn't working for me here. Here's the gap. Here's, so I, f I, think that's, I think that's really interesting and I can absolutely picture the persona uh, that you're talking about here. Uh, I wonder how many, um, I wonder what the general view is. What what came out of your conversation, whether you start with the passion and you add on insurance or the other way? Because I have quite strong feelings on which way I think that would work. Well, it was, um, as I say, it was, it, was a, it was an interesting discussion, but um, it, it felt like it was easier to train in insurance than it was to create, the, than to train in the, the passion. So, um, you know, behaviours behaviors come first, if you like, and skills come second. You can train skills, you, you can't necessarily train behaviours. Um, and, and authenticity and trust were, were sort of, you know, words that kept coming through in, in, in all of the personas, really, in terms of um, credibility. But authenticity in a pure specialist is, is far easier to achieve if you've come from the sector in which you then choose to specialise in. Absolutely. So what about the intentional hybrid? Yes, yeah, so the, the, um, the intentional hybrid is, um, I, I think it'd be fair to say this is probably easier to describe as the broken firm. So yeah, broker first and foremost, but um, opportunistic in the nature of if they see an opportunity to specialise in a particular area, then they're willing to do it. Um, again, one of the big findings of our research was that um, differentiation was a big reason as to why brokers would choose specialism, um, specialising. So um, the intentional hybrid sort of sees that and, and has the ability then to have specialist areas within their general broking business. So there is still very much a, um, a commercial generalist broker in there as well, but pockets of specialism to capitalise on that market opportunity. I was just going to ask what, uh, I, I mean, I've read the white paper and I, I think we're talking here about the full spectrum from small independent through to big national consolidators that you kind of surveyed. Yes, yes, absolutely. Because I'm just, I'm thinking of the small independents that I know and you might have, you, you might only be 15, 20 man strong. Uh, so, so really your specialist is one person that's got a specific interest. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that was, I suppose, the concern of an intentional hybrid was the, so the scalability of it. You know, how, how much could they, they do? But the opportunistic nature of it, you know, if there's one guy in there that does have a particular passion for charity insurance, for instance, you know, they're, they're willing to support and help and, and encourage that. And then it's kind of the tipping point, you know, then does that person or that business start to look at the kind of the pure specialist do, do people get added around it or is it a case of we, we can add the generalist skills to support um, I, I think the insurer sort of relationship in both the pure specialist and intentional that, that describes some of the differences as well the, the insurer relationship with the pure specialist they know they know who the market is before the risk sort of is presented They've already done their market scanning. They know who is going to uh, to, to support them as a as a specialist insurer partner. 
the intentional hybrid again is more fluid in that regard and sometimes they'll use this the specialist capabilities of the insurer to to back up their own sort of developing specialism um, i did some interesting work with a, a client a while ago now um small independent um general community broker um, and what we did is we did some work with all of the sales staff, the, the client-facing staff, about favourite clients versus not favourite clients. And it was a very open question. But what was really interesting was, across the board, the favourite clients all happened to be in one industry. And it was a bit of an aha moment for, for, you know, for the business and quite a lot of fun for us and the sales staff to be like, why do we think this is? And we looked at the geographical location, where was close, the type of clients these tend to be in terms of admin heavy or, um, so I, 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 yeah, this sort of feels like it fits a little bit here, although it was unintentional, but now could be intentional. Well, we, um, we tried to link, inevitably, I suppose, again, linking it back to us, we, we tried to link it to some of the um, white papers and the barometer reports that, that we produce, where we're, we're always trying to, um, but we're engaging with clients to understand what issues are keeping them awake at night, a uh, bit of a cliche, but you know, what, what, what is it that's um, concerning them? And, and the pure specialist and those, those specialist brokers on the calls they probably arguably didn't need our barometer report because they were doing their own market scanning. And I think the the favorite customer, favorite client piece comes almost from the fact that they know what the challenges are that they face. So there's probably fewer surprises. So you don't get the, the kind of the call of, I need to do this, or I'm faced with this issue. What are we going to do about it? The That favorite client or that homogenous group of clients in a particular sector you you sort of know what what challenges they're facing and you're having that conversation early and you're preempting it and so perhaps that might play a bit in, in terms of that favorite client because you there's fewer surprises perhaps mm, absolutely all right the third group the connected general practitioner how do we identify this group of brokers yeah well the, as the, this, that gp term sort of indicates this is you know the uh, my leg hurts whereabouts on your leg well the middle bit well that's your knee so i'll get you a knee specialist it's it's that sort of piece and um so the general practitioner certainly doesn't shy away from specialism but they don't pretend to be anything that they're not either so um the GP is well connected in terms of uh, specialist suppliers and invariably, you know, specialist insurers that they can bring in. They deliberately seek out these opportunities, but they don't try to build that capability themselves within their business. They have the capability to identify, but not necessarily the, the structure to align themselves around the specialist needs of their clients. So that, that's where the GP kind of aspect came into, um, you know, it just, it, it seemed to work as a way of describing it. Um, mm. it they could well have a service-led proposition rather than a, a, a sort of a sector specialism. Is this where you might find the community broker? Yeah, yeah, I, I think you would. And it, and it aligns, doesn't it, with that whole sort of GP idea and in, in amongst mm. it, and I'll, I'll find you the right answer and I'll bring this person in. So. So building trust with their insurance 
partners is critical, but the trust of their clients who you know know that they're not a specialist, they don't have a kind of branding that indicates a specialist, they are just there to to, to help them and a connected general practitioner and, and the organic generalist that we'll come on to, they probably see broken as their specialism rather than specifically clients' needs. Mm. And you, I suppose you might find this is in either of these two really, that the geographical specialism or, or perhaps SME specialism, you identify outside of an industry, but more by, by you know, by a different type of, of group. Yes. Yeah. If your geography is, um, you're a broker on the coast and you've got clients then that are um, bed and breakfast hotels or something like that, then there could well be a, an alignment mm. around that specialism. Absolutely. So the organic generalist, what's the differentiation between that and the um, the general connected connected general practitioner? Get it right, Sarah. <laughs> I think the, um, the the difference is really that the GP is still keen to go and identify those specialisms. They'll they'll still see that as a um, as a differentiator, whereas the organic generalist is is proud of the fact that they're a generalist, and you know, the specialism for them is insurance placement is broken is is managing and identifying insurance risk and all of those sorts of things as opposed to around the client the specific client sector needs so they're um they're kind of more concerned about the scalability of, of specializing um mm. they'll deal with insurers based on their own merits it's transactional rather than immersive um but they would be more deliberately avoiding building those specialist capabilities rather than letting it letting it grow and become a part of their business. What's quite interesting is sort of through the whole piece of research, there's been quite uh, high percentages that have recognised the, the benefits and need for specialist type knowledge and, and, and threads. And I think one of the conversations I had with Adrian was from a business perspective, specialism enables focus in a way that makes it much easier to identify resource needs, to identify or to put together a financial strategic plan, marketing, sales, all of these things. So there's, there's, there's a real alignment there. And I think from a broader perspective, the world is going more focused niche specialist. So um, that's obviously great news for a specialist insurer such as yourselves. But what are you going to do with this information? And what do you think is going to happen over the next few years with sort of the broking market? Um, we, we concluded our report by saying, you know, the future's bright if you're a specialist. But that was a bit of a sort of sweeping statement because, as we've just said here, there's, there's, there's four different types of persona. And the fourth one that we've just talked about there is actually sort of almost resistant of um, calling themselves a specialist. I, th I think for us it's useful just to understand the differences. Um, broker consolidation is is never-ending, it's it's ongoing, it's a part of our industry and it, and it shows no sign of, of stopping. So those specialist brokers that were in that pure specialist broker could well find themselves in the future part of a major distributor who would present themselves as a, as a, as a generalist. Um, but with pockets of specialism. So we need to be able to, we as, as an insurer need to be able to identify that, that, that specialism. But I think we also need to understand how we, our role 
in those relationships will vary between these brokers. So sometimes we'll be presented with a risk for an, an independent school, something you know quite quite complex, um, either from a specialist broker who has chosen to be in that sector, who knows the issues that those sectors face, and they don't need the same level of support from us. They they've come to us because they know that we're in that sector, but but they know what the solution is. They know what the answer is. We just need to you know we just need to determine whether or not we can provide it. Or we might find a community broker who is presented presenting us with an independent school where they've got you know strong links with that school because they're in the community but this would be the only independent school that they will have ever uh, been the broker for so they're very much more leaning on us as a specialist to say what do i need to be thinking about so for our underwriters and and the development team those are those are two different responses so there's no point in us going to the specialist and saying, well, you need to think about this, this and this, because that's patronising, because they've already thought about that, that and that, and they've told us what it is that we need to, to be doing. We should have a conversation and make sure that our views are aligned and, and all of those sorts of things on that sector. But they, they, they don't need our support in the way that the, that the local broker, that community broker may well do. They may want us to you know, meet the client with them for want of a better phrase, hold a hand, you know, and, and kind of go into to sort of battle together. And we're more than happy to do, we're more than happy to do both of those two roles. But we've got to identify that, you know, when's the time to do one and when's the time to do the other? Because because not every client's the same and certainly not every broker's the same. This aligns quite well to a conversation I've had very recently on a podcast with Ecclesiastical, uh, which was all around uh, the presentation of the risk and the the type of story you need to build um, and sometimes when the information is not uh, uh, adequate and sometimes where there's over information and there's lack of focus in the presentation and I think this aligns quite well with that in terms of the hand holding and really it comes back to communication doesn't it yeah yeah absolutely and you know we've got a role to play here to demonstrate to brokers that, that we understand the issues that they're facing and that their clients are facing and for those brokers who don't specialize in these areas we that's where we can bring forward our barometer reports and say these are the sorts of things that are probably concerning your clients you might want to talk to them about them and and if you do then you know talk to us again because we're trying to develop some solutions for those problems that we can see are on the horizon so it, it it's back to that kind of immersive nature of understanding the client understanding their sector beyond their insurance needs but you know also recognizing that, that, that we're an insurance provider and that's where we focus and uh, you know I'm, I'm kind of working with other partners for, for other solutions I like this idea of the barometer reports that can sort of give the support to uh, the, the client facing person the broker to, to really get immersive, like you say, in that in that um, in that particular industry, are you happy for me to put the link in the show notes to your white paper? So anybody listening that's interested to read a bit more can um, can can see the full white paper. Yes, please. Yes, yeah. We've we've shared it through our own social media links, but it, I think as you said at the start, you know, we'd all welcome feedback, and we'd welcome challenge on it as well because we started off with this research. We looked at it and challenged it. The, the roundtable sessions challenged it again. This was a view at the end, but you know there could be a fifth persona. You might say that you know two of these personas are one and the same. But let you know, 
let's keep that conversation going. Well, I tell you, if anybody's listening that would like to do this, I will persuade Chris to come back on another podcast with whoever you are, and we can do a tripartite challenge. Those are always good fun. So um, please do get in touch. Uh, my contact details will be in the show notes, as will the link to this. And Chris, I just want to say thank you very much for your time this morning. It's been really interesting to talk to you. Thank you, Sarah. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have enjoyed what you have heard, have any questions or feedback, please leave us a review and we will be sure to get back to you. If you would like further information on how Boston Tullis Group can support your business, or if you would like to join us on an episode, please do not hesitate to contact us.